This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, I'm fired up for today because we've got some young entrepreneurial guys on the show today who actually aren't entrepreneurs. They're, uh, they work day jobs. They work day this jobs. Is, I would say this firmly falls in the Kokomo series. Well, yeah. I mean, I feel like there we've had a lot of people on Kokomo, but often they're in real estate related industries. These guys are not. Right. And uh, they're called Left Sided Ventures. That's their partnership. It's a limited partnership. There's three of them. Philip, no, no. I, we had a tough time with that pronunciation. He, We said it six different ways. He said they all sound okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I remember. So no offense. <laughs> yeah. Johnny Chu and Ryan Wong. Right. Three young guys, friends for a very long time. And they started this partnership. I love this episode for obvious reasons. But number one is a lot of young people listening to this show probably don't have maybe the money to necessarily get in the market on their own or to invest in real estate on their own at this moment. But these guys are proof that it doesn't matter where you are financially through partnership and through looking at a variety of different markets, you can make sense of real estate investing. That's the thing, right? These guys are Vancouver, born and bred. Yes. They're not all in Vancouver now. In fact, if I recall, Seattle, the UK. We had a lot of time zones. A lot of time zones to get this started, but they've remained friends and they're investing on the East Coast. So we're talking about how to know a market, how to monitor that market, what a deal looks like, why they're investing, where they're investing, what the future holds. There's so many takeaways and these guys are very analytical. Yes. This is uh this is get your spreadsheet out for this because they've built models, models on top of models to monitor these markets yeah. and it's so smart. Yeah. Yeah, I I really enjoyed this conversation. This is a great one today. Excited for the episode, but before we get to that, Matt, I'm a little tired. I got I I was away. I'm back. Yeah, took, you're back. Took the red eye. Uh, Weirdly as pale as when you left. <laughs> You know what the thing is, is this is the first time actually I've ever really cared about sunscreen, but I'm lathering. So my, my daughter is mixed race, probably does better in the sun than I do. Lathering her up with like 70 SPF or whatever. Right. My wife uh, wears a, like really aggressive sunscreen as well. I've always been the guy who's like wearing like Crisco like oil. Uh, I've, like I'm like, uh, yeah. <laughs> I got, what is that? Like the... The tinfoil out yeah. there trying to Well, the tinfoil hat on account yeah, yeah, of how you, how you view politics. <laughs> and then, and then uh, <laughs> your, your son's paraphernalia. But here's the thing, too, is that I, I'm out there lathered. I was like in 50. I actually was really conscious about it this time. Turns out I'm whiter than uh, when I left. Yeah, I was thinking you'd come back looking like you're in Hawaii. Uh, yeah, but no, no. I you, still you, have, I still have like the bathing suit tan though, because I think <laughs> for some reason it just still exists. No, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, uh, I have no idea how that works. 
<laughs> so you're back, though. It was a good trip. It was a great trip. It was a great trip. That red eye, I'll never do that with a two and a half year old again. This is funny. You're telling me about this on the way over. Yeah. This sounds like an absolute nightmare. Well, so, I mean, we get there like, I mean, and my daughter's toilet trained, but we had, she's, there's an accident sometimes. She's, occurs. she's tired. She's <laughs> tired. She's, it's like, and she's ten, angry. It's 1045. We're getting on this flight. It's like nothing but families. Uh, which by the way, there was a kid that just cried the entire, like, and, and he was like a toddler and, and like he, he just, was old enough. Not he to... literally started crying at the beginning of the flight. And like five and a half hours later, he was still like, as we were landing, I was like, this has just been consistent. Right. Um, and we empathize, you know, maybe I had an earache. I don't know. Yeah, no, it was, no, for sure. But, and, and I mean, but it painful, just, it was nice to kind of have him Cause I was like, you know, my kid crying periodically was, was tolerable. Right. But, uh, what's crazy though, is like the minute we got on the flight, it was like just a what's to come moment, but we sit right, down. right when they get the seatbelt sign on. Yeah. So we, well, we sit down like right about to take off and I'm like, just kind of like, what stings? And of course <laughs> my daughter like waited <laughs> like, but, and then it was like, the worst part was. <laughs> Sir, you're going to have to sit down. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, back yeah, on. <laughs> I was like police taping off the section. And, and then it was like, we're sitting, we're sitting there and you know, you can't do anything about it for like the first 25 minutes of the flight. So I was like, well, we're off <laughs> like people looking behind, like, you know, people kind of awkwardly looking around like, <laughs> what? What, what is, is that? that? <laughs> yeah. You're doing it more aggressively yeah, because you're like, trying to yeah. make it out like it's not yeah, coming like, from your eyes. Who is that? I'm like, jeez. Oh. oh, God. <laughs> Anyways, we got it sorted. But then, uh, yeah, I'm a little tired today. Tough, tough, tough flight. <laughs> well, <laughs> Good to be home, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I also said to you th this to you, and this is uh, maybe more of a testament to how much I appreciate Vancouver. And it's, if it's not clear how much we love the city of Vancouver at this point of six years into this podcast... I got home even from like Kihei, which is like maybe arguably one of the most beautiful places in the world. I got home to Vancouver and I was like, oh God, it's good to be back. Yeah. Kiss the ground. Kiss the ground. God, we're lucky. What do we got before anything else you want to talk about? This no, is a long, long one. I, this is a long one. I'll just say one thing. A couple people reached out about the back injury. We should say you're in a gurney currently. I'm no, you know what? <laughs> so I've just realized this might be more embarrassing than anything. I just think my pain threshold's very. It very was a light low. bruise. It was, it was a light <laughs> Are bruise. Are you going to backpedal this now? <laughs> I shouldn't have went in the ambulance. That wasn't my intentions, but no, I'm I am improving uh, significantly. Not, I'm still still on meds, and uh, uh, but I, I am getting quite a bit better. So thank you for all your concern. You're like the guy. You're. Like I the, wish I would have never mentioned. You're like it, that friend of ours who uh, like had a crazy heart attack to the ambulance, like. And then it turned out it was just gas. <laughs> Wasn't that, that? Are you are you that guy? I'm now? basically that guy. You're like you like, like left, and everyone is like, "Will he ever walk again?" It was like ah, light bruise. Yeah, I I like to tell a good story, but yeah. uh, but but anyway, yeah, feeling feeling better. Not quite back up to uh, to full speed, but uh, but good. yeah, I'm I'm nearly there. Good to hear. Awesome. Well, hey, without further ado, let's cut to this conversation with. Philip, Johnny, and Ryan from Left Sided Adventures Limited Partnership. This is a great one. They're on their way to Kokomo. Enjoy. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This week's podcast is brought to you by Hawkeye Wealth. Yeah, past guest fan favorite Justin Smith and his team. Fantastic guy, Justin Smith, over at Hawkeye Wealth. 
Hawkeye helps our clients invest in various private real estate investments, such as residential and industrial development projects with an aim to diversify their portfolios and achieve better risk-adjusted returns than they would find elsewhere. Yes. You, you, you really dragged on that elsewhere. Elsewhere, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, always when I think of Justin, I think big network, great due diligence, and a deal finder. If you're interested in learning more of what they're doing over at Hawkeye Wealth and the opportunities that become available, head over to HawkeyeWealth.com. That is HawkeyeWealth.com. I finally got it. Hawkeye, like he's a, he's a deal finder. He finds the deals. That's HawkeyeWealth.com. Thanks, Justin and the team. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. All right, so we're here with Philip No, Johnny Chu, and Ryan Wong from the VREP community, but also from Left Side Adventures Real Estate Investment Group, and uh, really on the show because of our Kokomo series. Zero and, to Kokomo. Uh, yeah, Zero to Kokomo. Really happy to have you guys on the show. Hello, Johnny, Philip, and Ryan. Hi, thanks for having us on. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time, guys, especially all three of you. And uh, I'm sure we'll get to this, but all of you have professions outside of real estate and we are uh, during business hours. So thanks again for taking the time this morning. Maybe can we start by hearing a little bit about yourselves and Left Side Adventures? My name is Philip, uh, one of the uh, partners at Left Side Adventures. A little bit about myself. I was born and raised in Vancouver, been here my whole kind of life and uh, studied nutrition in university. After I kind of studied nutrition, I got super interested in financial literacy, read a lot of self-help books, financial education books, and just was keen to have multiple streams of income and eventually attended like a personal development conference, attended real estate investing courses. And that's kind of how I kind of started to become a, a real estate investor in addition to working in the healthcare industry as well. And you're still working in the healthcare industry, correct? Yeah, still working in the healthcare industry. I work in uh, program operations at a uh, obesity clinic. Awesome. That's and and I should say, and uh, maybe we'll talk to uh, to the other partners here first. But one of the interesting stories is you guys are still all maintaining careers well, doing partnership investing, which is exciting to get to. But Johnny, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So my name's Johnny. I was pretty much born and raised in in Vancouver. Um, I'm currently located in London, UK. So everything I'm doing is is long distance, not within Canada. But a little bit about myself. Went to um, high school in East Van. Went to uh, SFU there as well. Um, kind of got into the real estate through my parents. Actually, a bit out of frustration because my journey started as managing tenants. My parents were landlords when I was young age. And since they're immigrants, they essentially... Um, a lot of times tenants weren't properly screened and contracts were written you know, on a piece of paper. So that kind of led to a lot of issues. So when I was old enough, I decided to kind of take over and help out. But that kind of led to my journey of 
reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and eventually kind of wanted to start on the real estate journey, which I bought my first pre-sale in 2015. And Johnny, so you're in, in the UK and you're in the healthcare field as well, or...? Yeah, oh, so my industry, um, I, I studied electric uh, engineering. So I was an electrical consultant in Vancouver. But when I moved to um, the UK, I actually shifted into more of a sales role in the electric vehicle charging industry. Cool. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, what yeah. time is it right now in London? Oh, London right now, it is uh, eight hours ahead. So 6.30 p.m. We're, we're drinking coffee. Yeah. You're, you're getting ready for dinner. All right. Well, I, I, have a, I have a cup of coffee as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, and last but not least, Ryan, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I just want to start off by thanking you for, for you guys for having us on the podcast. This is definitely a, you know, a bucket list item for all of us. So we're, we're checking this off. Awesome. Um, but yeah, so I was uh, just like Phil and Johnny, born and raised in Vancouver. I'm currently working in Washington as a software engineer. And I would say I'm, I'm definitely a, a logical guy by nature, and I like to, to make decisions based on data. And at a young age, I would say, you know, my dad instilled in me at, you know, the, the importance of diversification and mitigating risk. And I would definitely say that out of the group, I'm, I'm the more conservative one. I've always been interested in investing, and the idea of putting your money to work has always fascinated me. And, you know, grow, growing up, I've always embraced the entrepreneurial mindset. So left side of ventures is kind of like the perfect avenue for us to like express our, our interests and our feelings and also pursue our passions. And um, how I got started, started off in real estate, um, the reason is that I wanted to work towards kind of like financial freedom and, you know, gen- generate passive income. Um, I've dabbled in many other asset types like financial securities and cryptocurrencies, but real estate is definitely more comparable and it's more stable and predictable. And yeah, I started off purchasing my first investment in 2018 in Vancouver. And, you know, I would love to continue investing in Vancouver, but as you probably already know, like the prices are just skyrocketing over the last couple of years and I've really priced out the average single investor. And um, this is one of the reasons why we created Left Side Adventures, just to combine capital and get like, like-minded inv- individuals together and to mitigate risk. So yeah, that's, that's a little bit about me. Yeah. And are you in Washington, like Washington State or Washington, D.C.? Uh, Washington State. So just below the B.C. border. <laughs> oh, right on. Right on. Yep. Well, that was actually where I was going with this, because it sounds like, so we have three partners, all from Vancouver, three different countries currently sounds easy yeah i was gonna say (laughs) uh you kind of touched on why you guys formed a a partnership can we talk a little bit more about that and kind of flesh it out how you guys kind of found each other for with the kind of interests the shared interests but also yeah why it made sense to partner up yeah yeah so uh, i mean I can kind of take us back to how the journey started. So, I mean, to go way back, we were all very close friends from high school. So we've known each other for 17 years. But if we were to tie back, kind of in 2018, Ryan and I went in on a pre-sale in Burnaby with uh, another friend of ours. So that kind of started our journey. Didn't really know what we were doing then, to be honest. As long as we calculated the rent covered the mortgage payment and strata, we were happy. So fast forward to 2019, Phil and I went to a self-development conference and a real estate course. And that's kind of when we got really exposed to, you know, Burr strategy and also calculating ARV. So after that conference, we we really decided to put time together and and kind of assess 
how can we make that work? And as we all know, uh, Vancouver is a market that's very difficult to do that. So um, the pandemic hit. So we had a lot, a lot of time at home, spent a lot of time researching. And um, that's kind of how it came about. And just organically, all passionate about real estate, spent time biweekly and, and just um, did a lot of research. And are you guys investing? So for our listeners, it sounds like you guys grew up in Vancouver, started with pre-sales, it sounds like in Burnaby, I think there's different 2015, 2018, different years here, but but are you still primarily focused in Vancouver or where, where are you guys looking to and where are you guys investing right now? Yeah, I, I can answer this question. So yeah, we're currently investing in New Brunswick and uh, there's a long story how we ended up there. So, um, you know, after forming Left Side Adventures, uh, we came up with a company blueprint that kind of specified and clearly laid out our mission, our values, and our goals. And our first goal was really to purchase a multifamily home that was cash flow positive. And you know, in order for us to reach this goal, one of the first things that we had to do was really determine where we wanted to invest in. And we wanted to you know, compare all of the locations in a non-biased manner. And we came up with the idea of kind of assigning a score to each location that represented the profitability and the stability of each location relative to others. So again, we, we broke this task down into two kind of key steps. One is that we needed to find like a, a reliable data source that we could leverage for our calculations. And two, we wanted to use a modeling approach based on a set of macro features. So a macro feature is essentially can be defined as like a characteristic of a phenomenon. And in our case, our phenomenon is, you know, how profitable, how stable is this location? So what we did is that we narrowed down our set of macro features to things that we thought were important. For example, average rents, you know, vacancy rates, job growth, et cetera. And we gave different weights to each of these macro features that would later contribute to the final score. So, you know, just to give an example, we had vacancy rates that may have contributed only 25% to the final score. And we, and we had like average rents that would contribute 50% to the final score. So what we did is after running these numbers and the model, we, you know, New Brunswick came up at the top of the list and was number one. And, and that's, that's really how we ended up in uh, New Brunswick. So th- this is actually kind of incredible. Uh, so you developed the model, you put the three minds together and, and the, came up with the model. Yeah, exactly. So we kind of just, you know, we, we, we kind of broke it down into two categories. So, you know, these macro features, we, we, we determined two categories that we felt were the most important for our investment company, which would be profitability and stability. And, you know, for an investment to be, to make sense, it has to be profitable. And for stability, you know, since we are long distance investors, we have to really make sure that where we're investing in is stable in terms of both vacancy, job rate, uh, job growth, and things like that. And, you know, just to touch on the long distance investing, this really helped us in, in, in a way because we couldn't rely on our personal experiences. And we really had to, you know, build our intuition through analysis because, you know, we can't really say like, you know, we didn't have five to 10 or 20 plus years of living in that location, we were unable to say like, hey, this neighborhood is good and this neighborhood is bad or, you know, this neighborhood has good school districts. So we really had to, you know, put in the effort up front and do the research there. But yeah, I don't know if that, that does that answer your question? Um, uh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I'm just wondering more about the model. So the data sets, reliable data sets, yeah. were you plugging in? 
I'm just wondering how you do this kind of systematically across the country, or, or did you do that? Uh, I can kind of add on to it to make it a little bit simpler. Basically, we, we ended up choosing, uh, I think, 10 to 12 cities that uh, we kind of use as our fil- first filter and first screen. So those cities range from Alberta, Saskatchewan, Ontario, Nova Scotia, things like that. After we kind of uh, went through that first filter, uh, we applied the second filter, which is kind of, you know, Ryan's uh, data input. So just giving things different scores. And so when we ended up with 10, I think we ended up with 10 or 12 cities, then we kind of just put in these scores based on the the calculation that kind of uh, Ryan created. And so profitability, you'd look at things such as the rent, the 1% rule, the rent growth, the average appreciation rate, you'd give those a score. And then in regards to stability, you'd look at things such as population growth, job growth, uh, secondary factors that you want to take into account, such as uh, employment trends, migration patterns, and also taking into account like, um, employment trends as well and to see if there's a diverse uh, employment in the city. So taking into account all the things that we wanted to look at. Granted, it's I've seen really complex models online. There's like over 100 plugins that you could do. Ours was more simple, I would say, you know, looking at maybe 10 to 20 different things. And based off of that, we kind of just were all assigned three to four different cities. We did presentations and then ultimately we said, okay, this is, we break it down to two cities. We do a little bit more research. Okay, we're going to kind of go into these cities based on, on the model. So that's kind of a, an overview of how we, we used uh, those data sets, but definitely not as comprehensive as ones I've seen um, online. So it sounds like you yeah, guys just, trust your gut. Um, <laughs> just, just I trust kidding. Ryan. <laughs> I, I already some, trust some of those Ryan. Some sources yeah. we use were, were uh, like CMHC, which kind of provided data for all across the country. Right. SAS Canada as well. Yeah. SAS Canada. Yeah, so, yeah, so those were... The consensus yeah. reports from Canadian government were also very useful for us. Also digging up, I guess, like digging up um, credible sources from realtors in, in those cities as well. So we definitely pester a lot of uh, realtors uh, to get specific information that you guys definitely have. I think from the CREA, does that make right. sense? Or yeah. Yeah. yeah, CREA for sure. Ooh, that's the first test. Yeah, <laughs> we call it Korea, but it, yeah, it, yeah. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Well, uh, in thinking about New Brunswick, so you settle on New Brunswick. Yeah. Was it leaps and bounds ahead of the other markets you were analyzing, or was it was it was there a top three? Like, how does that process go from one of of analyzing ten markets to deciding on on one market? And then when you take a region, how do you narrow in at a, on cities and yeah. and areas within that region? Yeah, um, yeah. So good, good question. I think uh, it, leaps and bounds is probably not the right word to kind of you know, categorize it. I think it just came down to what our investment criteria was and what we were looking for. Definitely real estate investors make everything work and uh, see a lot of success in, you know, various cities around the world, even in different provinces like Saskatchewan, Alberta, Ontario. You know, I've heard on your show that people are even making cash flow, such as I think Mark King, you know, he found a couple of cash flow off-market deals here and that yeah, so you can kind of make it work. It just depends on what people's investment criterias are, what amount of work they're willing to kind of put in. So I wouldn't say New Brunswick is leaps and bounds ahead of everywhere else. It just depends on what you're looking for in regards to appreciation, cash flow, how much work you want to put in, and uh, taking into, into account 
smaller population sizes and stuff like that as well. So yeah, yeah and, and then I, in just to, to just to just to add to that, Phil. Just want yeah, sorry to cut you off, but I I just wanted to say that there there was one characteristic that kind of did pop out, which was kind of like the average rents to property price. So that's something that did distinguish New Brunswick from other locations like Vancouver and let's say uh, Regina or in in Saskatchewan. So that's something that was an initial filter for us. And you're and you're in in St. John entirely, or are there other areas in New Brunswick? Like, are you focused on the city or? We're looking primarily at uh, a couple of different cities. Uh, we're looking at the capital, you know, Fredericton. St. John Greater Region is pretty good as well. They have Rothsay, they have Chris Typus, they have Moncton. It seems like St. John and Moncton are, are like the, the the hubs of where a lot of investors are, are going. Uh, Moncton being the, the primary of where a lot of people are going because that's uh, the largest population size. So I would say like Moncton would probably be like a Vancouver, a St. John would kind of be like a Burnaby kind of thing in my opinion. But Okay, so so you guys have decided on New Brunswick. How do you put that plan into place? So you've decided on the region. What comes next? Yeah, I can kind of comment on that. So once we decided on the region, when you're trying to be successful in long distance real estate investing, the most important thing is to assemble something I call the core four. So these are the four team members that you'll need at the minimum to invest long distance. Core four is like the realtor, the mortgage broker, the contractor, and then the property manager. So yeah, the first step is really to assemble that core four and to have a, a team in place that's your boots on the ground. Right, right. And so how do you how do you go about screening the right people? And Because I mean, we've all dealt with, you know, not all agents are created equal. Not all uh, contractors are are necessarily reliable. Not all property managers will know your specific market. How do you how do you go about assembling a team? Um, I think I think the key one is just um, we're building a business, right? We treat it like a business, and so like the, that's one of the benefits. You you really treat it like your own business and your own baby. And you know when you're assembling a team, you definitely want to interview and screen as much as you can. On average, we probably screened and interviewed and talked to probably, you know, over 10 different realtors before we kind of settled on one property management. We also talked to over 10. We talked to get referrals as well. So a lot of a lot of like networking, a lot of information calls, a lot of different questions that we kind of ask regarding their experiences to see if we kind of jive well with them and, and so forth. Um, so yeah, it's just really interviewing the right types of people and kind of trusting trusting your gut. And so far it hasn't really, you know, bitten us in the butt. <laughs> can I say that right. on a podcast? You can say that. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So it hasn't really kind of bitten us in the butt yet, but yeah, I'm happy about the interviewing process and, and the team that we kind of selected. Yeah. And, and just to add to that, Phil, um, you know, when we were interviewing these candidates, we made sure to express and, and clearly, you know, showcase our own values and, and goals. And just to make sure like they also align and have similar values. So it makes, you know, working with them easier and our communication is easier. So um, I think that's really paid dividends for us just to make sure everybody's on the same page. Right. Um, because essentially they're kind of like extended team members, right? So it's like, you know, me, Johnny, Phil are the partners, but, you know, these people, you know, our, our team, we're really working with them and they're really part of the company. So they're essential for us to yeah. succeed. So they kind of all have to align and, and be on the same page. Uh, to add to what Ryan's saying as well, I think one of the things that was important for us to ask was the people, the team 
uh, we selected, we asked them if they've worked with long distance investors. Uh, and there was a lot, there were certain things that we needed to understand if, if they had that experience, because there are a lot of processes that kind of needs to be followed for somebody who's not in town. So that was one of the key, key factors as well. Right, right, right. Okay, so you've, now you've interviewed and assembled your team. Let's talk about, um, I'd love to kind of get to the goals of the company and thinking more about the model, but how that actually breaks down on, on paper. But first, in thinking about just your style of real estate, so investors, a lot of investors are buy and hold. It sounds like you guys are excited primarily by the Burr method. So can you, you first of all, give us, uh, for listeners that are not familiar with the Burr method, Give us a loose definition to work with. And then let's let's talk about kind of what you're looking for and what your goals are. Yeah, so BRRRR, for those who don't know, stands for buy, renovate, rent, refinance, and repeat. Uh, it's a great way to scale your business and um, acquire more property without having additional um, uh, a deposit in. So first of all, you want to buy a property that's Perhaps under market value or at a good price, because that's where you make the most amount of money on, on the on the purchase. Uh, then you want to renovate it, make it all pretty, uh, follow kind of your plan on on what you want to to do to the property to bring it up to market value and uh, just add value to that property as much as you can. Some people are you know making things nicer with the with the living room, with the bathroom, with the kitchens, kind of making it more modern and, and livable. Um, other people are doing conversions and stuff like that. So duplex conversions to triplexes or just adding more units to it. That all depends on zoning and stuff like that as well. Once you kind of renovate and do your magic to it, then you can rent it out. And with that hope that you are renting, uh, renovating and you know adding value to that property, it hopefully gets reappraised at a higher amount based on your projections and, and so forth. And uh, once it gets appraised at a higher amount, you can do a cash out refi pull out your, all the money or some of the money that you put into the deal and then therefore repeating that process to acquire another property. So that's the the beauty of Burr. Definitely takes a lot of work and it's more active, but uh, that's the beauty of kind of recycling your money and making your money work for you double time. And, and who do you rely on for ARV? Are you relying on the agent? ARV, is, it's it's interesting depending on the, on the size of the units you buy. Uh, if, Vancouver, a lot of the ARVs are based on comparables and so forth. But as you go into the four units, the five units, you know, 10 units, 20 units and so forth, we're not at the 20 units yet. But the more units you go up, it's going to be based on uh, the net operating income uh, since that property is now considered a, you know, a business, right? So yeah, we, we do rely on the realtor. We do kind of do our own market analysis as well. And in the future, when we acquire larger and larger properties, it's all going to be based on our projections for the net operating income, which is just the revenue minus the expenses. And so there's formulas that you kind of can work with to, to have a projected ARV. And how many doors do you guys have at, at this point? In left-sided ventures, we, as a, as a partnership, we have nine doors at the moment. So uh, a three-unit building and a six-unit building. Excellent. And and can you talk about, so which w- was the three-unit building that was your your first deal together? Yeah, so so the, the three-unit was the first unit we purchased as a partnership back in 2020. And that deal kind of came across. So with the realtor we worked with actually brought it as an off-market deal to us. And um, 
as as the first deal, we kind of we we had certain criteria. There's this category we kind of did um, base hit, um, home run or get grand slam. And since this, it was the first property that we we went in on, um, we kind of agreed that um, let's just get a foot in the door. So we ran the numbers; everything looked good. We we did a cash uh, cash purchase, and then closed out the property within within a month because the, the buyer required us to close quite quickly. So we didn't have an option to do a commercial mortgage. And and what in when you say the so it sounds like it was a base hit to continue with the analogy. And can we talk about what the the numbers when you ran the analysis, what the numbers look like in in New Brunswick? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So initially our, our screening process, we we kind of did the the one percent rule, which essentially what 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 that rule is 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 monthly rent over purchase price to kind of just do the initial screening, but uh, we soon found out that many of the property had high operating expenses because of it being a multifamily sector. So we started looking at price per door and also cash on cash and cash flow. To give an example, when we were saying base hit, home run, and grand slam, we might have uh, calculated where you know cash on cash for a base hit would be anywhere from nine to twelve percent. For something for a home run, it would be twelve to fifteen percent, and for a grand slam, it would be fifteen percent. So after kind of doing our initial analysis, the the property that we we acquired ended up to be sitting in about ten percent cash on cash projected, and also it was about providing a seven percent cap rate. And sorry, just so so I understand, so you buy a this threeplex, the numbers look good. Did you renovate this property, or did you just keep the tenants as is and and hold? When we purchased the property, we did rentals on one of the units. So we purchased the property for two hundred eighty-five thousand. We did, I think, ten thousand dollars worth of rentals. And then when we purchased our second property, we refinanced it for around three hundred and thirty thousand. So we we had some ARV there. We increased the value, and then we were able to pull out the money to purchase the second property. So, and one of the units was just vacant, presumably when you when you purchased it. No, all the all the units when we bought the uh, threeplex, all the units were occupied. That's kind of what the the uh, the seller wanted to. We didn't want to evict any of the tenants, so we came with hundred percent occupancy. One of the units were this was a pretty turnkey, I would say, investment. It was a high quality, good price, off market deal. Um, it was hundred percent occupancy. The lower unit was already renovated, so that was like a, a huge bonus. Units uh, two and three at the upper levels needed a little bit of a touch-up work, but uh, mainly, you know, it didn't need too much too much work. And there's a lot of hidden value in it based on the size of the units. So they were two-bedroom units, but uh, they were over a thousand square feet large. So they, in my opinion, were kind of more or less three-bedroom units. So it commanded a higher market rent that the current landlord is currently charging. So eventually we did renovate one of the units and the other unit, we haven't done anything to it yet. Okay, so you go from a, a, a triplex to a sixplex. Can you talk about the second deal? So what, what I was, uh, maybe we can take a step back and some of the asset classes that we try to target are what we classify as class B uh, multifamily homes. And these generally have like the following characteristics. So they might be older properties, they have value add opportunities, they're generally well-maintained, and they're occupied by middle-class tenants. And the reason why we targeted multifamily homes, and it kind of ties into the three-unit there and the six-unit, is that they generally have a higher rental income 
per square footage. And what we've noticed is that like the closing costs are relatively the same. Um, so it kind of is advantageous to target properties that have higher units. And the reason why we picked these two properties is that their characteristics enable us to, you know, increase the rents, perform the value adds, which ultimately allows us to increase the net operating income. And this helps us with the appraisal phase and during the refinance phase of the Burr strategy. So uh, that just kind of gives the background on why we choose uh, multifamily homes. Hmm. And what was attractive about the, the second property? It's funny with the second property because uh, we were back and forth probably five, six, seven times about uh, buying it. And then, no, we're not ready for it because we were already closing the three unit. But um, what was really attractive about it was the fact that it was, I would say, mainly an off-market deal. So something that's not existing on, on the MLS. And so there's more, slightly a more opportunity there. You know, the seller didn't want to hassle the tenants and have a lot of, you know, 20 people in and so forth. So, and, you know, they wanted to, to sell to someone they also knew and, and so forth. But what was really attractive about this kind of six unit building was that it was a four two bedrooms and two one bedroom units. So we've seen a lot of kind of multi family units that have one bedrooms. And, you know, obviously two bedrooms is preferred over one bedroom units. We really just liked the fact that it had a lot of potential in regards to perhaps like the rental income, a lot of value that we could add to it. And uh, of course, larger deals are are preferred kind of is what we sort of prefer at this time because the amount of work that's needed to manage the project, take care of it, make sure everything's going well, close it. Uh, there are three people here, so we don't want to buy duplexes and just have 30 duplexes under our portfolio. Uh, our goal ultimately is to acquire larger and larger property as we get more and more experienced. And um, yeah, especially when you do have a large, you know, six unit or 12 unit or whatever that may be, it just gives you a little bit more cushion, right? If you have a single family home and that tenant's gone and you're doing renovations for one to two months, that's 100% of your rental income, right? So, you know, if you have a one bedroom unit that's not rented and there's renovations, that's only one sixth of your rental income being uh, affected. So a little bit more safety in regards to investing in larger multifamily deals. And just for our listeners here in Vancouver, the price of a sixplex in, in uh, sixplex, yeah. So we we uh, bought an off market deal. We acquired ours for around I think four fifty nine thousand. Uh, so f- yeah, four fifty nine. It's my opinion and my our realtor's opinion that if it went to market, it would be much higher than that. I think it would probably would have sold for five fifty at least. So we did get a good deal on it, but obviously it created a win-win situation as well. It's, you know, when people often think about off-market deals, they're, they're thinking that the buyer's taking advantage of the seller, but just wanted to highlight that uh, there, there was a win-win situation there. Right. I don't know if this is applicable or not, but even just within BC, you know, folks from Vancouver that have kind of operated in a, in a very dynamic, fast-paced real estate market for a long time, often when you go to uh, a smaller center, it's has a total different culture, different expectations, and and off market deals in Vancouver are very hard to find. Do you find there's benefits to operating in presumably a bit slower market where things are a little bit less competitive? Have you used kind of largely the osmosis of being in Vancouver for the last 
couple decades to to your benefit in in purchasing in New Brunswick? I wouldn't say that uh, New Brunswick is a slow market. It's a uh, it's a seller's market still. Uh, there's you know for the MLS for multifamily deals, there's fifteen or twenty offers being placed on things. So there is definitely a benefit of of getting an off market deal where there's less competition and more time to negotiate and more time to close. A lot of these properties right now in New Brunswick are closing very fast and multiple offers similar to the Vancouver market as well. Obviously not as crazy as the Vancouver market. So yeah, just to kind of answer that, it's still a, there is benefit of off market deals, but yeah, they're they're definitely not slow in regards to like know experiencing the same things that we see here and around the world right now the housing supply right and do you uh in your experience i guess you don't know who else the purchasers are but is it mainly folks from outside of new brunswick migrating to that market for investments from what i've seen i've seen a lot of the large multifamily deals they are under um not a mom and pop shop they're under uh, a partnership or corporation so a lot of corporations are owning our businesses are owning large multifamily, so five to twelve plus units. In regards to you know the duplexes and single family homes, I think that's mostly like the the local kind of people there as well. I think immigration kind of slowed down a little bit. That's another reason why we like New Brunswick. They're, they do have a lot of immigrants, you know, in Canada and in New, in New Brunswick. A lot of people from Ontario are moving there to retire, but they're definitely not purchasing the the multifamily homes. They're just purchasing more of the the single family homes. So you kind of have a mix mixed bag there, definitely. But I think there is a, a lot of uh, investors flocking to New Brunswick based on the numbers. And and I was just talking with the guys. I guess like our our word of caution here is that do your own research, work with a, a qualified team and realtor and your team members because. You know, there are a lot of properties in New Brunswick, whether it's in Moncton, St. John, uh, the neighboring cities, there are a bunch of junk products. So they may look sexy when you first look at it. But if you dig deeper into the, the structure of the building, the CapEx expenditures and all that stuff, you're, you're going to find a lot of skeletons in their closets. So don't just go to New Brunswick and uh, pick something that, that has really good numbers. So Good advice. And I'm actually just curious, have you guys been to New Brunswick before? Yeah, yeah, we actually went to New Brunswick. <laughs> yeah. That was a pregnant pause. That was a we we didn't need to go to New Brunswick. I mean, but we we did actually have a time where we're like, hey, like we got nothing to do. Johnny's flying back to to Vancouver. We might as well make a trip out of it, sort of thing. So we did we did visit uh, New Brunswick and, and the city. We went to uh, New Brunswick and St. John and Moncton and stuff like that. So spent a couple of days there. Met our team checked out the properties, checked out the neighborhoods, enjoyed some nice food and did a nice tour of the city. So it reminds me like it has the potential to be like the Instagram version versus the real life version. Like was your investor <laughs> mind did you put up rose the lenses on uh, or or what was it like when you got there? Or were you pleasantly surprised, I guess? And was it after the purchases? Like, were you like, oh, finally we get to go see it? And you're like, oh my God, this is spectacular. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, on that point, actually, so uh, for us, we actually made a purchase on our first property, not having stepped foot in New Brunswick. So when, when the first uh, property was purchased, we did decide that we, we, we should go visit um, because at that time, our, our the second property we were looking to acquire was under contract. So when we flew out there, I mean, 
personally, for me, uh, we we've done a lot. We did as much research as we could. So you know, Google Street View. You can go down the neighborhood, see how it looks like, um, the main areas. So we had a good idea of kind of how the area is. Done a lot of research already, so nothing really caught us by surprise. And as well, we did keep in touch with our realtor quite often. So in terms of the properties, there was loads of photos shared with us. So when we did go there, thankfully. All the photos that were shared with us was was actually what the property was because you know doing long distance investing, having never set foot and seen the property physically, there's always that concern. You know, are, are is this am I actually putting my money into something that's real? Um, kind of t- it's kind of like the Tinder swindler. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't had time to watch it yet, but yeah. I think I get the gist. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it was it was great. We, we fell in love with the city. It's you know, it, it's it's right by the beachside. It's quite a town compared to say Vancouver. But in terms of what it has to offer, it was well connected, easy to get to places, and it yeah, it was it was it was a great great city. I, I thought it was like um, it was like a mini to me without having my rose glasses on. It was kind of like a compare. It's comparable to like a, a Kelowna and the Vancouver Island at the same time. The reason I would say that is because you, when you go to Vancouver Island, they have so much development along along the coastline. You know, they have a lot of townhouses and condos being built there. And they, they had something similar to that in different areas like that along the coast as well, where they had a lot of construction. And then similar to Kelowna, because they had like long, big box stores and kind of, you know, all the big box stores in that area. So I kind of saw it sort of like a mini, mini Kelowna, mini, mini Victoria sort of thing. It's amazing. We talk about it always on the show, how everything, and I guess this is a a BC lens put somewhere else. Everything's kind of mini, mini Kelowna, mini, this is like Victoria. This is like Yale town. You know, one thing that strikes me about this, and I, and I don't know how, how old you guys are, but it's a fairly recent start to the venture, but it sounds like you guys have put in a ton of work and, and a lot of energy and you've made some real big gains so far. Three people, one, I think Ryan, you were saying you're the most risk averse of the three, you know, people find it hard to pull the trigger on, on big purchases. You know, if it's just one person making the call, have you guys had trouble getting, do you see the three of you as being sometimes, um, I mean, obviously it's a benefit, but are there, are there downsides to, to making decisions when, when there's a tripartite, uh, group involved? Yeah. Um, so to answer your question, I would say that, you know, just taking myself for, for an example, I am more at risk Everest and, you know, I'm, I'm more conservative and things like that, but I would say that's where Johnny and Phil really pushed me to new boundaries because they are willing to take certain risks and calculated risks. Um, same vice versa, where Johnny and Phil, um, they might be a bit more, you know, willing to to do certain things and take certain risks. And then I'm able to kind of show them the other side as well. So it's kind of like paying, playing devil's advocate. And the good thing is that with three people, whenever you vote on something, there's always two on one side. So we kind of have <laughs> yeah. a, a rule that it's, you know, I, I trust my my partners and I, I think they do the same. So it's more like we're making decisions based on data analysis and that, that ultimately leads to the best decision for the partnership. And yeah. Yeah, I guess it would be a lot tougher if there's four of you. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can you talk about maybe some of your biggest mistakes? We haven't really had too many big, big mistakes yet. That That's been detrimental. I think we've made really good financial decisions. I think real estate over time is quite forgiving and and the method that we're kind of going and approaching our investing journey has been quite methodical and calculated. So we haven't really had too many 
if I had to kind of say we had like a, a large mistake, I think it's just learning and kind of like, you know, stubbing your toe along the way, trying to learn how to navigate the closing and dealing with commercial mortgages is something that we kind of learned a lot about and, you know, the timelines and having realistic timelines, making sure that everyone is on track, such as your lawyers and submitting things in a timely manner. That obviously causes this little bit of stress and it's a little bit of extra lawyer fees because they have to, you know, do their due diligence on their part to lend us uh, money to purchase property. But I, I wouldn't say we have like a many large mistakes yet that we could perhaps comment on. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. And how about some of the biggest wins so far? Yeah, so um, I, I would say it does sound kind of cliche, but really just taking like a left-sided approach to our investment strategy and applying that into all areas. The reason is that, you know, I, I've fallen victim way, way too many times investing in things where as a result of feeling FOMO. So it, it really like protects us from this. And it allows us to walk away from thin deals that we're on the fence on. And, you know, you know, so we can move on to the next deal if, if things don't really make sense for us. And then I would say the other one of the other wins is, is how we operate and run the business. I think we early on recognize the importance of consistency and just the benefits of a healthy team. You know, it's easy to start something, but it's even easier to stop what you started. I think you guys can probably relate to this as you guys are on, you know, episode 300. And, and, you know, you've been releasing podcasts since 2016. So, you know, it's probably not possible if, if you're not consistent. And we try to implement like processes that help us move fast, but also don't hinder us. So we like the concept of agile methodologies. It's, it's from the tech industry, but it's really like just moving fast and, you know, doing things in a time boxed environment. So we work in two week sprints so we can, you know, iterate, deliver incrementally. And as a result, this kind of allows us to have shorter feedback cycles. And, you know, we, we reflect often. We make sure that we remove any processes that are kind of limiting us from moving fast. And, you know, this ultimately allows us to, like, you know, reach our short-term goals and also achieve and stay focused on our long-term goals. So it's kind of like that balance there where we want to move fast, but also we want to make sure that we're moving in the right direction and our goals and, and everything are aligned. So, yeah, I would say those are kind of our two biggest wins. I like the fact that you 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 highlight Ryan like our biggest wins are not like you know I, I work in the weight management industry and people often say like I want to lose 30 pounds, right? I want to get rid of this the dad bod for example or I need to lose 100 pounds. But the goals and the wins and the focuses should be on the behaviors that gets you to those goals. So uh, that's really why I love working with Ryan. It's just like he really emphasizes the process. Right. You know, if we if we want to look at the big wins and, and and the sexy numbers that people are kind of looking at, I would say like around June is probably when we'll finish our renovations for our six flex. And that'll be uh, very interesting since that's our first Burr deal. And it's projected that we'll be able to add one hundred fifty thousand dollars of value to the property and be able to pull out, you know, one hundred thousand dollars in order to refinance that to fund more deals. So I, I would say like objectively, I think that's one of our biggest wins. We're excited to complete the Burr, renovate our property, add value to it, and uh, have it appraised much higher than we we purchased and renovated it for. Right, right. No, and I mean, I, I love that about the kind of, it's almost your daily habits, right? That you're, that, that you, you need to be focusing on. And and two of the themes that, that come up all the time on our show with very successful real estate investors or developers are discipline and action. 
Can you talk about how both of those tie into to your process? For for for, for discipline, um, I, I guess when we first started out, it was very much uh, we we set a criteria. Every two weeks, we're going to meet, and we're just going to. Cons- and ever since uh, I think it started two years close to two years now, we've been very consistent. Every two weeks, we're meeting, we're, we're discussing what's going on. And from those meetings, we, we kind of categorize, like what Ryan said, the agile um, development. We, we take away from the meeting what the actions are for, for the next meeting. So it's, it's very incremental. And yeah, that's kind of got us to where we are today. And just to add to what Johnny's saying, like to stay disciplined. So when we're looking at deals, we know that at least you know, people are projecting that interest rates are going to increase over the next little while. So we, we're doing things like stress testing on our on our properties and future properties. So we might, you know, decrease rents by 10%, increase vacancies by 10%, and we might project like mortgage rates to be a point higher than they really are today. So just doing those things in place so that, you know, we are able to make smart decisions. But yeah, that maybe kind of ties into the discipline factor. So we don't just get caught up. Right. And it, and it kind of makes me or sort of leads into a question I had is, is so it looks like, you know, put a model in place. You have a variety of data sets that you use. You isolate New Brunswick. You know, you have nine doors there. You're, you're moving forward. Are you still looking at other markets or running models in case, you know, the situation changes, the context changes, or is the plan to kind of double down on New Brunswick you know, as you get to know that market better, the opportunities presumably uh, become easier to spot. Are you doubling down or are you consistently kind of monitoring other markets across the country to potentially diversify? Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. And I think that kind of aligns with like the agile methodology, which is really, you know, you're able to iterate and fail quickly. So, you know, it's based on customer requirements and really the customer is us since we are the investors. So our criteria and you know the macro factors will change over time and we have to be able to recognize this so yeah we we do look at macro factors consistently and this is something that you know whether it's having an exit strategy in place or you know keeping an eye out on different market conditions um i think our mastery is going to be burr but it's okay to recognize that other strategies may work in different conditions or different markets. So I think staying open and flexible is probably something that we are looking to do. But you know, since there's uh, constraints with capital, time, um, those are some things that we might want to pursue. But uh, we do have to have a balance there between staying focused and you know, because so many there's probably so many different shiny markets out there. We can really jump into any market. Yeah, that's the that's yeah. that's. Probably one yeah. of the, the negatives, right, is to it's like a squirrel kind of moment, right? Looking at the next yeah, hot, I, sexy market. Exactly. Yeah, and I think like staying in the same market's ideal for the next one to two years. I think now that the teams are established, we're just, you know, we're going to probably double down as you guys are saying. We have like large goals of, you know, where we want to head as a, as a company and as a partnership. But yeah, always keeping in mind, as Ryan was saying, you know, Risk mitigation, planning for the future, looking at employment trends, looking at migration patterns are still things that we still need to do the due diligence on. But probably, our, I think our goal is in the next one to two years, definitely doubling down um, in the New Brunswick area. And you know, once we kind of want to diversify and go elsewhere, perhaps, and looking at different areas, we would just repeat our process and just start that research process again. So maybe looking at Alberta or Saskatchewan and things like that for uh, different types of deals. 
So maybe as a final question, you know, one thing that strikes me is you guys have done a lot in the last couple of years and, and presumably the goals are big. What's uh, considering the series is uh, from zero to Kokomo with Kokomo being whatever you want it to be, basically the end goal, financial freedom, you know, whatever. Did you guys sit down early on and say, hey, we want to invest in real estate. Let's consider this. Or did you start with with a big goal? And and maybe I'll just ask the question, What what is the end goal for, for Left Side Adventures? I think we kind of just uh, formed a partnership based on our passions for entrepreneurship and mainly just also financial freedom or financial independence. doesn't mean that we need to retire, perhaps, but it just means that we live life on our own terms and we're not trading time for money and things like that. Our end goal, you know, five years out, we're looking to acquire 100 doors. We're kind of just throwing that out there. We want to acquire 100 doors in five years. And so we have yearly goals, quarterly goals, every year goals. So we, we, we break everything down, uh, which is something that we all do in our personal lives as well. So 100 doors is kind of why what we're looking at. Some people look at criteria in terms of like how much cash flow, a real peer cash flow you should be getting per door. And, you know, if you use a conservative number of $200 per unit per month, 100 doors would get you $20,000 of, of pure cash flow per month. And so that's kind of our, our five-year goal to have $20,000 of pure cash flow per month. That's kind of the five-year goal. In terms of anything further than that, we haven't really planned that far. <laughs> right on. Well, well, I guess before we leave it there, of course, we have the five wire that we're hoping you guys can stick around for. It's been a while since we've done the five wire with three people. It's going to so. be rapid fire five wire. Yeah. So can you guys stick around for that? Sure. Yeah. Also, is this model that you, you that you've developed available for the general public? Asking for a friend. Um, that's a good point. We do have, you know, we we might want to, you know, release a website in the future that has some of these uh, calculators in place. Um, that's something that Johnny has been working on because he's like the numbers guy in terms of like all the the sheets and expo- uh, Excel spreadsheets. So it's not available right now, but I think there are plans that we would have a website in the in the future that would have you know, our models, our calculators, um, things like that, that could be available to the public. And Philip, do you have a website you're working on for guys trying to get rid of their dad bods? Because I think Matt uh, <laughs> would Asking like a for link. a friend again. No, no, not, nothing for, uh, nothing for, for <laughs> but this, but my uh, goal of, my goal of 30 pounds, it sounds like I'm framing this wrong. I, I should be yeah. incremental, yeah. incremental. Uh, but but I'll, I'll kind of just do a shameless plug. I think it's fine to, to do it here. But if, if, if anyone like is struggling with obesity, uh, the medical condition, obesity, there's a, there's a free MSB funded program uh, that I work for. It's called the Obesity Medicine and Diabetes Institute. I encourage everyone to kind of, you know, recommend their friends, family, especially if they struggle with obesity. Not as much, you know, looking sexy and losing 20 pounds for Mexico or something like that, but um, check it out. Awesome. <laughs> Lifestyle. Right that's, a, that's a great plug. So we'll move on to the five wire. So first question is, uh, we're actually doing a little bit different to the five wire these days, but the first question is favorite movie. I can go first. Uh, Saving Private Ryan. Oh, that's a good oh, one. I don't I, think that's ever come up. Oh. Mine would be old school movie Pursuit of Happiness. Oh, yeah. Oh, Will Smith. Yeah, yeah. Just goes to show we're slightly older than you because that's like a new movie in my mind. <laughs> right. <laughs> I thought you were going with old school. Uh, it's <laughs> like Humphrey Bogart. <laughs> uh, for, for mine, it would be a movie that's very memorable. 
this kind of comedy. Uh, it was Click that came out back in 2006 with Adam Sandler. Oh, oh. yeah. Oh, I don't three think I... we've never we've never had on the show before. That's great. Uh, favorite band <laughs> or song? My favorite DJ would be probably Arvin Van Buren. We're too old. I yeah, think. yeah. Well, I'm gonna look it up. <laughs> um, for me, I, I guess a song that's recently been listening to a lot is Ed Sheeran "Shivers." Ah, good one. Matt, okay. I feel like your list probably I, have that. I at home. I do. That's just one I know. That is one I know. I would say my music taste is horrible. My fiance always complains about how I don't know anything about music, but I would say, you know, the deep focus playlist on Spotify, it's super lame, but yeah, that's the honest <laughs> truth. <laughs> that's fantastic. One book that you would recommend for our listeners? I, I can go for some Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I think that's one book that I read, uh, you know, five, six, I, I can't remember, like eight years ago, and that's really stuck with me. So great yeah, book. Say that, that book. For for me, I would say something that's very applicable to what we do right now is the multi-family minute millionaire by Brandon Turner. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, Big pockets. Bigger pockets. Bigger yeah. pockets. Big bigger pockets. Yeah. 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 I like to recommend people like either Rich Dad Poor Dad or uh, Millionaire Teacher for financial literacy. Ah, those are three great books. What is one piece of advice you'd give your eighteen-year-old self? I would say. Um, don't party so much. <laughs> <laughs> this one's a tough one for me. I, I mean, this is a tough one for 18-year-old self. Continue to hang out with the right types of people. That actually seems very applicable to you guys because you seem to have kind of a similar vision, similar interests, but definitely kind of different. Complimentary. Complimentary skill sets. Yeah, that's where, that's where it's going with that. Yeah, very good. Uh, for me, probably what I would say is uh, to my ten-year-old self uh, that it's, it's it's okay to fail. Just uh, just pick back up and 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 just keep working at it. Johnny's the only one who, uh, yeah. So so Johnny and Phil, very good advice. Ryan, you were just drinking. I think so. <laughs> Spent a lot of my university years, you know, just uh, messing around a little too much. <laughs> so, you're lucky you met you're, these you're guys. lucky you met these guys, Ryan. Jeez. I know. I know. Uh, <laughs> um, I we're, all, we're all there together, to be honest. <laughs> we all went through it. <laughs> you two uh, have just forgotten about it. <laughs> um, we tried to forget about it. Right. Last but not least, what is something that you've bought for under $1,500 recently that's had an impact on your life? I, I can go first. Um, for me personally, well, I, I didn't buy it for myself. Uh, my wife actually got it for me, but it was the, the Aura Ring. It's it's oh, a awesome. sleep tracker. It essentially functions like a Fitbit, but it's, it's a ring. But it, the, the app is quite in depth. It's anyone who's looking to do have a better sleep and track the cycle. Uh, highly recommend. You know the technology. That's a great one. And we actually had a potentially future mayor uh, Ken Sim on the program, and his was the Aura Ring. He talked he talked about the Aura. Apparently, this is this is it's it's like the best tracker available. Apparently, your finger is the uh, is what you want to be uh, having something attached to, not your wrist. As I stare across at Matt's Apple Watch, but Aura, huh? Yeah, yeah, Aura Ring. It's a it's a good one. Definitely, definitely check it out. Awesome. Is has your sleep improved since you've been monitoring? So it, I've only just got it for a week. So I'm I'm still trying to study the data and trying to adjust to it accordingly. But one thing that it keeps consistently telling me is that I'm going to bed too late. But uh, I think initially it's just getting all the data and then and then make adjustments afterwards. 
Uh, mine would probably be uh, golf lessons. Hey, I oh. bought that for Adam's birthday. Yeah, which I don't a, think he used. I, I haven't used yet. I haven't used it yet, but I'm using it. But uh, <laughs> that's that's great. So, like one lesson or multiple lessons? Multiple lessons. You know, it's a it's an ongoing sport of perfection and chasing perfection. So it's nice to get uh, guidance from from professionals. Well, you're you're gonna need something to do with all that free time uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. once you're uh, once you're living that Kokomo life. Yeah, and uh, I would say for me is um yeah it was a gift as well, but my, uh, an espresso machine. So definitely starting the morning off right with a nice espresso. Um, love my coffee. So yeah, right uh, on. That's, that's that's a great one. Awesome. Well, hey, how can people find out more about what you guys are up to? And I I, I want to say I love this episode personally because it feels like a lot of who's out there in the VREP community, young guys that, uh, young people, I should say, that are interested in real estate that are kind of bootstrapping their, their investment journey and, and, uh, and, and clearly getting, getting places by taking action. So we really appreciate you guys taking the time. How can people find out more about what you're up to? Uh, we don't have a website yet, but uh, if people are interested in in connecting, chatting with us, asking us questions, and, and kind of networking and so forth, they can follow us on Instagram. Our Instagram handle is Left Side Adventures. Uh, yeah, happy to connect with people, answer people's questions, and uh, support everyone along the way. I think Instagram and social media is a great way to connect with other investors around the world and in the province and the city. And uh, yeah, thanks again for having us on. I, I personally have been listening to this podcast since like 2018, 2017. So it's uh, definitely nice to to be on and, and contribute to the community. Right on. Well, th- thanks again, Philip, Johnny, and Ryan. And uh, we'll follow up and see see where you're at. And in, in yeah, it would be years. great to get get you guys back on to talk about your uh, your wins and uh, hopefully uh, uh, not mistakes. Yeah, sounds Definitely. sounds great. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. So there you have it, folks. Our discussion with the guys from Left Side Adventures, Johnny, Philip, and Ryan. Loved having those guys on the show. And thanks again to them for coordinating our schedule because they're all over the world yeah. right now, right? Yeah, these and guys I are mean, the legit globetrotters. And their investments. I, I love this. I, I actually read this on a Reddit thread the other day about real estate investing. But basically, somebody was was talking about how they can't afford their market. And somebody gave like a real dose of advice and said, like, listen, we live in a global world now. You have a million different markets to choose from. Yeah, it's you not don't just five blocks. Yeah, within you don't have to. House, you yeah. don't have to be within five blocks of your own house. Figure it out, man. Like yeah. you know, you can have boots on the ground. You can build a team wherever. And if these guys aren't an example of that, being born in the West Coast, raised in the West Coast, and then investing completely on the other side of what feels like you know the planet, but really right. is the country, and they're doing it successfully. And and yeah, energy and intelligence. That's exactly. What it takes. Yeah. Exactly. But Matt, before we cut for the day, what else do we have for the day, Adam? We have VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com for all things real estate related, including Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast and the Livewire. This is the weekly mailer. We have really upped our game with uh, VIP access to residential real estate. We're working on those relationships that we have, and we are sending out emails more, I'd say, aggressively or at least more often in relation to residential VIP pre-sales. We also have access to commercial deals, deal of the month, 
stats before anyone else. There's basically no reason why you shouldn't be on the live wire. We also have, of course, tried and true private client services. Yeah, Matt. And if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor level information for free. It's available at your fingertips over at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. It's the best way to search for real estate in the lower mainland. Check it out at our website. I also want to plug the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast and Corey Wright, what he's doing over there. God's work. We're recording an episode today. You are, yeah. Super excited about that. I got Corey coming into the studio. We also have our Instagram, which we're updating now kind of continuously, which is great. So check us out on Instagram and, and welcome to the you know 100 plus people that have signed up in the last or, or followed us, I guess, in the last week or so. Awesome to have more people joining on. And uh, I think we're going to be updating it even more. I'm, yeah. I'm going to just get to the point where I'm just like, hey, guys, making breakfast. Like, <laughs> how you doing? I'm getting there. I'm You're, getting you there. are, actually. It's I impressive. And, I'm, I'm, uh, and I downloaded the app. So yes, uh, <laughs> we're, we're, on, we're well on our way. <laughs> if you want to talk about that or anything else, <laughs> give me a call at 778-847-2854 or matt at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or adam at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. We also got that Kokomo line, info at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com and a list, a list of guests coming up. Fantastic. Now, uh, you, you've been away. I've been, I've been reaching out to some, some past guests, some new guests. And uh, yeah, there's th this spring is just going to be dynamite for the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast.com. So don't go anywhere. Absolutely. And some of the best minds, I think, in the lower mainland commenting on the market because the market's in a funny place right now. We are in an interesting moment for sure. And we're going to be talking about it throughout the spring. Absolutely. Take care. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today. <laughs>